Welcome to Radio Curious. I'm Barry Vogel. Listen to the Marriage is a novel by John J. Osborne, a retired lawyer and law professor. The story centers around a marriage counselor and a recently separated couple with demanding jobs and two small children. All 31 short chapters take place in the therapist's office and reveal the angst, anger, and hidden love that the couple, Gretchen and Steve, have for each other. Sandy, the therapist, guides the sessions while keeping her thoughts about her clients to herself. An empty green chair, representing the marriage, sits between Gretchen and Steve during each visit. Listen to the marriage is Osborne's sixth novel, the first one being The Paper Chase, published in 1971, about a year after he graduated law school. Listen to the marriage is based in part on the experience Osborne and his wife had with a marriage counselor beginning about 10 months after they separated in the mid-1980s. They remain happily married. When John Osborne visited the Radio Curious Studios by phone from his home in San Francisco, California on December 14, 2018, we began our conversation with his description of the therapist's goal to get the couple to look at the marriage they created as being separate from themselves. I do believe that the marriage is separate from the couple themselves, and I think it's something that the couple built. And what Sandy, the marriage counselor, is after is getting them to realize that and to be able to look at the marriage and to see what they're doing to the marriage when they, uh, you know, when they relate to each other. So then I want to move on um, to vulnerability and the baseline reality uh, being the most important thing in the world to Gretchen and Steve. So take Sandy's marriage counseling practice. She has very, very few rules for her, for the people who come to see her. And the only really big rule is you've got to tell the truth. You know, you, you have to tell the truth. You have to tell the other person what's going on. For example, if you're having an affair, you have to tell that. That has to come out in the marriage counseling. Um, and the reason is, it's like if you, if you don't know what reality is, you can't go anywhere. That's the fundamental baseline of it. That's Sandy's real fundamental rule. And frankly, if the couple isn't willing to do that, she's not going to take them on as clients. Yet in your book, it took a while for that to come out. Well, yes, it took a while, even though she's a pretty pushy marriage counselor. There's one crisis in the middle of the book where Steve has actually slept with one of their mutual friends, and he doesn't want to tell Gretchen about it. And that's where this whole discussion about Sandy's rules about telling the truth come out. Um, and Steve realizes from Sandy that he's going to have to tell Gretchen. And he actually does that. It's clear to him this is not going to be an easy thing to do and that Gretchen's not going to be happy about it. Now, it turns out that Gretchen is much more understanding than he thought. Do we know why she was so understanding? This comes about halfway through the marriage counseling. And Gretchen is beginning to understand Steve in ways that she didn't before and which led them into the problems that they're having now. 
she's beginning to see and, and, and feel how badly Steve has felt about himself, how badly she has made him feel by leaving. So she's got some kind of empathy there. She sees Steve having this, this one-night stand as, a, as an attempt, you know, a desperate attempt to make himself feel better rather than as, a, as, an, as an attempt to hurt her, for example. When you say how badly Gretchen has made Steve feel, he reacted to her actions. Are you implying that her actions were intentional with the desire of making him feel bad? No. <clears throat> so what's been going on with those guys? If you look back way before they got to see Sandy, it's that Steve is, is, is a literal person. So he takes what people say to him at face value. He doesn't walk behind the words and, and try to see what do they really mean. He, he just assumes that they mean what they say. Now, Gretchen talks in terms of metaphors, so that literally nothing she's saying is what she really means. If you're really going to have to understand her, you're going to have to walk behind what she's saying and, and try to interpret it and, and see where she's coming from. That's one of the biggest things Steve has to learn in the marriage counseling sessions. You know, and Sandy tells him that at, at the very beginning, she says, Steve, she gives him a task. I want you to imagine that Gretchen means the opposite of what she's saying. And what Sandy's really trying to do is to get Steve to look behind what Gretchen's saying. And at the same time, Gretchen's got to realize that what Steve is saying to her is pretty much what he believes. She's not used to people who talk that way. That's not how her mind works. She's always looking for the meaning behind what's being said. So they've gone through years of this marriage without really being able to communicate, without really being able to get at their feelings. I mean, there are other reasons that, that come out in the book as well. Gretchen is much more the kind of person who withdraws from a confrontation. She doesn't like to, to get into feelings. It's very difficult for her. And so she's not engaged when Steve clearly needed her to engage with him. And, and that's another thing that Sandy works with Gretchen on. So there's a whole bunch of stuff that's been wrong with the relationship that Sandy has to straighten out over time so that they can begin to talk to each other and they can begin to understand each other. John Osborne, in listening to the marriage, you talk about Sandy, the marriage counselor, is saying there are no deals in counseling. Can you address that? That's really Sandy's bottom line. What she's saying is, I'm not the kind of marriage counselor who you come to me and I ask, what do you want? And what do your partners want? And then I try to bring those things together and, and make a deal between the two of you. You'll give me that and you'll give me this. And Sandy says, we're not going to have any kind of deals like that. It actually can be a mind-blowing experience to have your marriage counselor say that. My marriage counselor said that to us early on. Because, you know, you come in expecting to be able to make a deal. If only I could make the right deal with my spouse, then everything's going to be okay. But Sandy says that doesn't work at all, you know. And what Sandy's doing is pointing to a more fundamental truth. Because if you ask yourself, if I'm not going to be able to make a deal with my spouse, how am I going to get anywhere? And the answer to that is, for example, on the most fundamental level, the answer to that is, you have to become the person that your spouse is going to want to love. 
And that's a very powerful idea because, for one thing, it's something you can do something about. It's not like trying to change your spouse, which is very hard for you to do. It's about changing yourself, which is actually in your control. So, you know, in, in, in a way, I mean, it can seem scary, but in a way it's incredibly liberating when you, when you understand that. And, and if I can go on and, and just press ahead here on one more level, it also means that you're going to have to learn a bunch of new skills. Because if you're going to understand the kind of person that your spouse would want to fall and fall in love with, and then you're going to become that person, you've got to understand what your spouse wants. And to understand that, you're going to have to understand what your spouse really means when they talk to you. So a lot of what Sandy's doing is teaching you how to listen to your spouse, i.e. to listen to the marriage, right? And once you can do that, once you can begin to see beyond the literal meaning of your spouse's words and get behind it and see what they're really after, what they're really feeling and meaning, then you can begin to answer their needs. You know, then you can begin to become the kind of person they would want to love. That's the kind of marriage counselor Sandy is. And it's different from a lot of other marriage counselors. If you read the literature on marriage counseling, so much of it is about teaching the marriage counselor to find the right deal between the two parties. And Sandy has none of that. She thinks that's a huge mistake, that that's a Band-Aid. She's look, Sandy's looking for fundamental change. So in listening to the spouse and listening to the marriage, that again brings us to vulnerability to the person who is speaking. Yes, but if you begin to understand what's behind what the other person's seeing, you'll be able to see the vulnerabilities even when they're trying to hide it. So, for example, in my book, Gretchen is, has been hiding her vulnerabilities for years. Gretchen has led a lot of her life in terms of a series of rules. And Steve's job is to be able to understand, able to go behind what Gretchen says in terms of rules and see that vulnerable, scared part of her that she's got walled off back there. And that's what Sandy's teaching him to do. And that's very hard for Steve, by the way, because he tends to be a literalist. So if Gretchen says something to him, he tends to think that's what she means. And actually, that's never what she means. These are the skills that, that Sandy is gradually teaching Steve. And he does learn at the same way Gretchen learns as, as the sessions progress. We're visiting with John J. Osborne, author of Listening to the Marriage, a novel about a therapist and a husband and wife. Uh, the entire story takes place in the therapist's office. You're listening to Radio Curious. I'm Barry Vogel. John, listening to the spouse and the spouse speaking the truth, what does Sandy do to develop the revelation of what each party's truth is? There are a couple of things Sandy's doing. And, and that's that the, the things that Sandy's trying to teach are actually things that we should have learned when we were young, when we were growing up in our families and we were listening to our parents talk. If, if we were in really uh, well-adapted families, we would have listened to our parents arguing, we would have listened to our parents discussing plans, 
and we would have realized how to do that in a productive way. So we would have gotten skills and understandings early on, and we would have seen that for a long period of time, you know, a really good skill set. But the fact is most of us did not have parents who had the skills themselves. And I know that my parents didn't have those skills. So we didn't ever learn the things that Sandy is trying to teach. So in a way, what Sandy's doing is remedial. She's taking you back and giving you these skills that you should have had. And not only is she making you have insights about the skills, but then she's making you practice them again and again, just as if you were learning when you were a child, practicing them again and again until they become a part of you, and you can do them almost instinctively. So I don't think I answered your question. But um, but you're approaching a critical issue in terms of marriages in uh, Western societies. Uh, relationships with men and women and and procreation. And the question is, how can those abilities to learn what your spouse wants and listening to the spouse be fomented and enhanced without going to somebody like Sandy by people who are already adults and perhaps in a marriage because a pregnancy was occurring? I think that you're going to have a lot of trouble if you can't find somebody like Sandy to go to. I I don't think most couples can do this on their own. I think finding a marriage counselor can be a very difficult thing to do, but is an incredibly important thing to do for lots and lots of couples. Some couples really don't need it. They did get those lessons when they were growing up. They do understand. They do look behind what their spouse is saying. But for most couples, I don't think they can do this on their own. They're not going to be able to read a book. You know, even my novel, they're not going to be able to read it and then change their behavior. They're going to have to make some kind of, you know, commitment and find somebody to help them. How would you suggest a person realize that he or she needs to change their behavior? The number one thing to do is to sit down and have a heart-to-heart, talk with yourself and ask yourself, are you happy? If you're happy, okay, then you probably don't have a problem. But if you're not happy... If you have things inside of you that you can't communicate to anybody, or if you feel like you're, you're not expressing yourself somehow, or if you feel like the person that you're acting like isn't really you, or that you feel like your spouse doesn't know who you really are, then you've got a problem, right? Of course, there are lots of other ways to tell if you've got a problem. I mean, if you're not functional, if you can't make decisions with your spouse, you know, if, if they devolve into arguments, then you need to see somebody. So all kinds of reasons to go to see somebody. You can even go to see somebody, even if you've got a great marriage, just because you want to make it better. I, I guess, Barry, I have to say I'm very pro on good marriage counseling. It has to be good, though. I'm really in favor of it. So the next, it was so helpful to us. So the next question is, how does one find a good marriage counselor? I think it's really hard. You know, if you're lucky, you've got friends who can give you a, a recommendation. And that's what happened with us. We had a good friend who had found a fabulous counselor and recommended her to us. And we were just unbelievably lucky. You know, you also may have to do some trial and error. If the counselor you go to wants to try to make deals, you know, wants to see what do you want and what do you want and how are you going to put that together, that's not going to work. So you need to go off and find somebody else. Somebody really wants to promote you know, fundamental change in the marriage. 
So in our conversation, John Osborne, about your book, Listen to the Marriage, you talk about us. To what extent and is there a similarity between your relationship with your wife and your novel? So so I got so about thirty about thirty five years ago, thirty four years ago, this was a recipe for complete disaster. I was working in Hollywood. I was flying off, you know, to go down to L.A. We were living in San Francisco. My wife was just starting a job as a doctor at a large uh, medical center in San Francisco. We had two young children. It was just an absolute recipe for disaster, and therefore disaster struck. And we separated for about 10 months. And that... uh, just by the grace of God, we found this fabulous marriage counselor, and we went. We got back together after 10 months. You know, we had to change things and how we were operating our lives and stuff. But anyway, we got back together, and we kept going to the marriage counselor for four years until finally everything got better. I just can't tell you. Everything got better. The end of four years, the marriage counselor said, you know, guys, I'm sorry, but you're going to have to go off on your own. And we were like, oh, God, no, no. But, you know, she was, she was like, I've done the best I can. You guys can handle it. I'm not supposed to be here for the rest of your life. That experience was so compelling to me. I really wanted to deal with it in, in a novelistic form, but I couldn't figure out how to do it. But literally for 30 years, every once in a while, I would go back and think, how could I write a book about this? And then I had two insights, literally within the last three and a half years. And the first insight was that the main character was not the couple, it was the marriage counselor. And that the relationship would be seen through the eyes of the marriage counselor. And that was an unbelievably liberating, liberating idea. Because actually she's the one who watches the story unfold She's the one who helps to make the story unfold. She's the one who challenges the, the, the couple, and she's the one who has ideas about how she can change them. And we get to see through her eyes, her ideas, what those ideas are and whether they work. So that was the first of these major insights I had. Then the second one was, and this was an absolute amazing insight to me. I couldn't believe I had it. I don't know where it came from. But I realized that the whole novel had to take place in the marriage counselor's office. We weren't going to go anywhere else. It was just going to be what was in the marriage counselor's office. So with those two concepts, I suddenly found I was able to write the novel. But I had to do one more thing. Even though I was going to use as the basis of the novel the lessons that the marriage counselor had taught us, I couldn't base the couple on myself and my wife I couldn't make the marriage counselor exactly like our marriage counselor because it didn't work within a novel. It's just too complicated. So the novel has to be somehow streamlined and and there have to be symbols in the novel. Um, Like the green chair that you brought up, which is a symbol of that idea that the marriage exists independently of the couple. Well, there wasn't any green chair in our marriage counselor's office, but the marriage counselor did have that idea that the marriage was different from either of us, that it was something we had put together and built over time, and we needed to take care of it, just like we would take care of anything that was critically important 
that we'd built. So I wanted to explain that to the reader, but how? And I, I got this idea of the green chair, which was the marriages chair, and it sits in the marriage counselor's office. And the marriage counselor invites the couple to imagine that their marriage is sitting there in that chair and to ask themselves, what does it look like? What is it feeling? That, that sort of thing. So those were the things. Yes, it comes out of my experience. Yes, the book has got these lessons that I thought were, that I found to be so helpful to us. But it is not my marriage. It just isn't. It's the marriage of the couple in the book. Well, what I would like to do is go back to your marriage, if I could, a little more than 30 years ago, four years after you started talking with your marriage counselor, who said, you're on your own. What I'd like to know is, what did you do beginning four years after you first met with a marriage counselor? Well, we were pretty good at it by that point. You know, we had learned a lot. And, and I have to say, just parenthetically, almost every day something happens and I react in a way I would not have reacted if I hadn't gone to the marriage counselor. And then I realize I'm doing it because I went to the marriage counselor and my God, it was helpful. So it's not like those lessons have gone away. They stay with you. You, you keep applying them. Um, you know, and then our marriage counselor did say one thing. We told her that we were not happy about the fact she was stopping this. And she said, look, if you get into terrible trouble, you can come back and see me. And uh, we didn't get into terrible trouble. But the nice thing was she became a very close friend of ours, and she still is. So essentially what she taught you is how to change yourself so that your partner will like you and love you. Yes. That, that's the most fundamental thing. She said, and, and gosh, it's so amazing if you think about it, Barry, what an incredible lesson that simple idea is, because then you're taking responsibility for it. You know, you, instead of blaming your partner, you're saying, it's, it's on my shoulders. What can I do? You know, what, what do I need to do to change to make this thing work? You know, and, the, and, the, and as we said before, the other side of that is to do that effectively, you're going to have to learn the language that your other partner uses. You're going to have to be able to understand what they're really saying to you. To some extent, that is contrary to uh, what some uh, psychoanalysts or psychologists say, that by the time you're a late teenager, who you are and how you get along in society is pretty well fixed and not very changeable. Well, I, I, I just think that's completely crazy. I mean, you should get somebody else on this program to argue that position. Um, I mean, I I just totally believe in change. But we're not talking about the kind of change that a psychiatrist is is trying to create. The marriage counselor isn't going back into your past and saying, oh, this happened to you when you were a little kid, and that's the reason you're this way now. The marriage counselor is trying to teach you skills, skills that you can learn. And that's a different kettle of fish. In that sense, can you learn new skills so you can get along better with your spouse? You bet you can. Is it easy to do? No, it's very hard to do. But you can learn them. You have to know what the right skills that you need to learn, but you can, you can get there. I think change is really possible. And the marriage counselors who, who think it isn't, they should not be in that profession. So what skills did you specifically learn? I learned to 
walk around behind what my wife was saying, not to take what she said at face value, that there was often something behind what she was saying that was what I really needed to understand. You know, if I took her at face value, I was likely to get angry. I mean, the most simple way your wife can say, how could you leave the towel on the floor? Well, you know, okay. I mean, because I don't know why. You know what I mean? You could just get angry at that. But actually, she's saying something much more profound. She's saying, God, I need to go out to dinner. Or I've had a a bad day and I need to talk to you about it. But she can't say that because it just, you know, that would be admitting a vulnerability. So you've got to walk around behind that. I know I'm sounding very simplistic, but it can get really complicated. If, if your first reaction is to get angry, every time your, your spouse says something to you that's critical, you're, you have not learned the first skills that, the marriage, that a good marriage counselor like Sandy has tried to teach you. you know, if you're about to get angry, you need to stop and say, what the hell is she really talking to me about? You know, what does she really mean? Yet vulnerability expressed by your wife in her situation with regard to the towel on the floor uh, allows yeah. her to discuss the backstory from her mind and you to understand it and learn about her. I mean, who cares about the towel? What she's really saying is, I'm angry. So you've got to say to yourself, what is she really angry about? And if you can't do that, at least you could ask her. You can say, I don't think it's about the towel. I've been leaving a towel on the floor every morning for 20 years. What's it really about? These are not great. These are not like the theory of relativity. It's so funny because there's stuff that can be so helpful to you. Well, John Osborne, I want to thank you very much for being with us on Radio Curious. And before we close, can you tell us about a eureka or an aha moment that really changed your life? I would have to say that the aha moment was... (laughs) Sorry, this is going to sound funny, but the first time I, I went to see the marriage counselor with, with my spouse, and the marriage counselor said, there aren't going to be any deals here. I thought, this woman is crazy. I, I literally, I was like, my God, what am I doing here? This is insane. Um, we're not going to try to, I, I thought we would be making deals the second we walked in there. When I realized that she was completely right, that we shouldn't have any deals, that was the aha moment, and it, was, and it had just made the whole rest of my life so much better. At this stage of your life at age 73, and what would you like to do with the remainder of your one precious life? I just retired from teaching at the University of San Francisco School of Law, and I'd like to write two more novels. That's what I'd really like to do. But to write an important novel, you really have to have something that you just think is important and that you really want to write about. So pending the publication of those two novels, is there a book that you could recommend to our listeners? I have a book I really am going to recommend to your listeners. The novel is called Happy All the Time. It's by Laurie Colwin, C-O-L-W-I-N. And the book makes you happy. And why shouldn't you be happy? Why should all literature bring you down? And you'll love the book. Well, John Osborne, thank you very much for being with us on Radio Curious. I've had so much fun, Barry. I I thank you for giving me the chance. Listen to The Marriage is a novel written by John J. Osborne, 
a retired lawyer and law professor. The story centers around a marriage counselor and a recently separated couple with demanding jobs and two small children living in San Francisco, California. The story is based in part on the author's personal experience. The book John J. Osborne recommends is Happy All the Time by Lori Colwin. This program was recorded on December 14th, 2018. At Radio Curious, we appreciate hearing from you. Our email is curious at radiocurious.org. The snail mail is 700 West Smith Street in Ukiah, U-K-I-A-H, California, 95482. The phone is 707-621-5075. Ignacio Ayala is the assistant producer. I'm host and producer Barry Vogel. Thank you for listening.